right. Good morning, Juliet. First, how are you this morning? Good. It is Thanksgiving week. If you did not realize that, welcome to the world this morning. Uh, I'm excited for this week. Uh, my family and I will be traveling to, to Phoenix. Uh, as much as I hate flying and it scares the living daylights out of me, uh, we'll be spending time with our family. I hope that you have a wonderful time with your family this week as you prepare for Thanksgiving. Some of you will spend hours and hours on end preparing for 15 minutes. So blessings to you. Uh, those of you that will be praying uh, meals this week. Hey, if you're new here, we want to welcome you this morning. I quickly just want to tell you about who we are. This is what we do every week. And I know for some of you, you're like, can we get past this? And I'll get past this when we start living this very thing. So what I want to tell you about us as Juliet First is that we believe our mission is to become a community of hope. That, that we believe hope is for everyone. That, that we are called to bring hope to all the nations. And just by our very nature and in the city that we live in, uh, our people here in Joliet are people of all nations. And so, yeah, that's right. That's right. We got some woohoos. I like, thanks, Cara, for the excitement. But, but here's the question that, that we're often presented with is, what does hope look like? Uh, we often try to define hope, but, but we know it when we see it. And so we've said this, that as a church, we will seek God. This is the first thing we believe. We will seek God with everything that we have. That whatever you seek will become the center of who you are in your life. So if you're not seeking God, then the center of your life will obviously be something else. And then as we begin to seek God, there's this relationship that takes place that, that will begin to pour over out of the love that God has for us and we have for God. And so we believe our second core value is that we begin to invest in other people. Now, this is a hard one. This is a tough one. Because it requires our time, it requires our gifts, and even in some cases, it requires our money. Uh, giving our gifts is one of the hardest things. Putting into practice our faith is one of the most difficult things that we face as a church. And we're learning how to do that. We're not perfect by any means. But the reason we seek and the reason we invest is we believe that God has a, has a plan to restore all things, to make all things new. Some of you have come this morning feeling like there is nothing new about you. And we believe that God has a plan for you. In fact, when we open up the story of God's scripture, we begin to see that from the very beginning, it's from new creation to new creation, that, that God is wanting to redeem and restore all things. We believe that to be true about God and the God that we believe in. And so as you are restored, we believe that suddenly you are turned into the image of God. And so we believe that after we seek and we invest and, and people are restored into the image of God, we will then send them out to the world. We believe that the best church is the sent church. That's why here at this church, we practice things like community and single bombs and hope closet. These are, these are avenues in which we meet the community. And I love it because we are a sent church. And some of you are really buying into this mission. And so I want to thank you for that. Others of you are still a bit leery. Well, you'll get there, I promise. But we believe the best church is the sent church. And we send people who have been restored into God's image to be the image of hope to the world. Okay, I'm done with the introduction. But that's what we believe here at this church. We've been a series uh, called That's Odd for about the last four weeks. Jesus tends to say things that make us uncomfortable. In fact, over the last four weeks, he, have, he has said a, a few things that have made us kind of question, what is he saying? In fact, uh, 
We call them the disciples because they often have trouble understanding what, what Jesus is talking about. And, and somebody asked a great question last week in our small group. And if you're not in a small group, you should be one. They said, don't you think we would ask the same questions? Don't you think we are the disciples? And I think she was absolutely right. We, we are in many sense. We would ask the very same questions that the disciples asked. So that's why we're going through this series because Jesus says things that don't make sense. Now, over the last four weeks, we've discovered what Jesus has said. But today I want to look at what Jesus did. You see, not only does Jesus say things that are outrageous and unbelievable, but God does things that are absolutely absurd. And so, I know some will argue that if you want to understand what Jesus said, you'll watch what he did. But I think so often that, that what Jesus does is just as crazy as what Jesus says. And so this morning, uh, I need your prayers. This is going to be a, a fun one. I promise it won't be as rough as last week, but this will be a really good one. Uh, so if you would, would you stand with me for the reading of God's word? We'll be on Luke. Luke 26. If you're new here, one of the things we do at the end of the reading of scripture is we say, thanks be to God, because we need to be thankful that we have this right in our hands. That God's word is so readily available to us, and so we give thanks for that at the end of this. So let's read together. We're in Luke 23, verse 26. Luke 23, verse 26. If you don't have a Bible, it's in your worship folder this morning. It says, as the soldiers led him away, they, they seized Simon from Cyrene, who was on his way from the country, and they put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large number of people, a crowd, followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Jesus turned and said to them, daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. For the time will come when you will say, blessed are the childless women, the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will say to the mountains, fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if people do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with, with him to, to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. Jesus said, Father! My God in heaven, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself, if he is God's the Messiah, the chosen one. So the soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was written a notice above his head, which read, I love this. This is the king. This is the king, the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminals rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what we deserved. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. 
uh, the last couple of weeks have been a reminder how much I miss teaching students. Uh, I had a leader, uh, one of my student leaders in Kansas. He was a business owner of one of the largest furniture stores in Kansas. His name was Jeff. And, and Jeff loved our students. And I remember asking Jeff, Jeff, why do you like working with students so much? And he said, I love working with students because they're teachable. And adults are pretty much a lost cause. Now, I'm not here today to say that you are a lost cause. Otherwise, I wouldn't be here. But let me explain myself. Over the last couple weeks, I've, we have a small group that meets on Sunday nights. And, and we have students that watch our crazy kids. I don't know how they put up with them, but they do it. They manage to do it. Uh, two of them taking on like six or eight of them. It's, it's pretty nuts at times. But what I've loved over the last couple of weeks is these two students have kind of this inquisitorial nature about them. And it's not just their inquisitive nature, but it's the enthusiasm in which they, they ask the questions. You see, often what they'll do is they'll corner me. I'll, I'll be getting food at, at our countertop, and they know that it's hard to get me away from food, so they figure they just corner me there at the, at the food. And so I'm getting food, and all of a sudden I have these two students right in my face. And they say, Pastor, I want to ask you a question. Oh, great. So two weeks ago, I got this question. Is there such a thing as an unpardonable sin? Because it says in Scripture, it says, if you say a word against the Son of Man, that's you, you, are for, you can be forgiven. But if you speak a word against the Holy Spirit, you will not be forgiven in this age or the age to come. So they asked me, uh, Pastor, is there such thing as, as an unpardonable sin? Last week's question was a doozy. In fact, it made me quite uncomfortable. Uh, they said, do you believe that demons can possess people? Sure, yeah, yeah, we believe that. And then they asked me this question. Well, can you exercise demons out of people? I said, you know, to my, to my recollection, I don't, I don't believe I've been trained in such a thing, so I don't, I'm not sure that I actually can't exercise something out of someone. To which they replied, are you even a pastor? <laughs> Quite honestly, that, that's, that's kind of how our conversation goes. They'll... They'll come up to me and they'll say, Pastor, I have a question, to which I usually respond, it's unlikely that I'll have an answer. And they'll say to me, how can you be a pastor? That's typically how it works out. Now, i got to say this. I, I love the fact that we have teenagers that are seeking after God with everything they have. And they have the right as teenagers to ask questions. And so the other day when they were asking me the question, I said to them, do you have to have the answer to every question? And this young lady said, yes. And I think that's okay. But as adults, I think we've accepted this mentality that, that somehow our faith gives us all the answers we need. That we have turned our faith into a research project or into a, a library of, of collections where we can go and get all of our answers. How, how many of you are familiar with the TV series Suits? Okay, nobody. Fantastic. Uh, I love this TV series. I've, I've just finished it. It's called Suits. And it's, it's about a lawyer who's actually not a lawyer. He's not even legally a lawyer, but somehow he practices law. Kind of funny. Anyway, uh, every week in the episode, the firm is presented with a situation in which it seems like there's no way out. But inevitably, every week there is a scene where we find lawyers gathered around the table in a room full of books 
where they can find answers and loopholes to life situations and the situations that have been presented to them. I wonder if we take our faith and we begin to, to frame it in such a way where we have all the answers and it makes sense to us. But then if you've lived for at least five minutes in life, there are these moments where, where chaos ensues. You see, I, I get it. You, you've come home at some point and your spouse says, I'm leaving you. You've gone to a, a doctor's office You've gone to a doctor's office and they've said, I'm sorry, but your, your kid who is only two or three years old has been diagnosed with cancer and will likely die within the next three or four months. You see, we have these moments where, where we are left to care. Mothers are left to care for their children because the fathers have walked out on them. There are these moments where loved ones that have been diagnosed with dementia all of a sudden wither away into the shadows and death of darkness. There are these moments where we begin to look at the world and we see natural disasters that become a numbing, numbing nightmare to each of us. Some of us have witnessed the wages of war and it becomes a picture that we wished we never saw. And it's in these moments of absurdity, that's what I'm going to call them today. You'll hear that word quite a bit today. It's in these moments of absurdity that we turn from a faithful follower to an angry agnostic. And, and if you're like me, you've been in this position where you've looked up and said, where are you, God? Where are you? Some of you familiar with the life of our church over the last couple months will know that the last couple months for our church family has not been easy. We have lost countless numbers of people who were young and they just died unexplainably. Things that we never imagined would happen to us all of a sudden happen. And it's in these moments, I think, that we experience what is called the absurd. Now, this morning, I want you to know that none of this is original. I, I borrowed this from a great philosopher named Peter Rollins. If you'd like to look him up, feel free. But you have to understand this morning that we as human beings... We as creatures are looking for stability and certainty in life, if I'm not correct. We, we, like, we like stability, we like understanding, we like meaning. But we are presented with a universe that seems to resist this idea of stability and meaning. And we have this feeling inside of us that almost is absurd in some sense. You see, absurd isn't square triangles. It's not ice that is hot, but rather absurd is this experience where something challenges your systems of understanding and thinking. Where something has challenged everything that you've believed to be true. You see, in life, we think that A plus B equals C. And then all of a sudden, A plus B does not equal C. It equals like W and X. And I think that it's our natural tendency to try to hide from these moments in life. And here's how we hide. We, we begin to run to people and we begin to ask them the, the questions about what we were experiencing because we can't bear the weight of not knowing. We have to have an answer to every moment that is presented to us in life. We don't like the feeling of, of the absurd. 
You see, we flee from the absurd. There are some of us on throughout the week, we, we have these, these moments in life where, where it's just chaos and we go to the bar and we get literally wasted. Because we don't like not knowing. And, and for just a moment, we allow being wasted to take away those moments that we can't understand. Some of us go to work. We work our lives to death. Because we don't really want to face, we don't want to face the, this, this situation that has been presented to us that we never anticipated happening in our life. And I know you may not like this, but, but in some sense, we do the same when we come to church. You see, we try to avoid the, the experience of unknowing. We try to avoid the experience of pain and suffering. And so we come and we begin to experience faith in such a way that we begin to look at the Bible as though it has every answer. That our faith will give us straight, clean lines to, to situations that the world can't explain. You see, religion and our faith is, is a way of conspiring to protect ourselves. From those absurd moments. Am I, am I making sense this morning? Religion for us. Is a way of conspiring to protect ourselves. From those absurd moments. Now I look at each of you. And I, I can see some of your faces this morning. And I, and I know your stories. And I know the experiences that you're having. And some of you have come today. For meaning and for hope. And I think that's awesome. But I think we come wanting our pastor to give us answers. We want our God to create clean lines for us in life. And we are left sitting in religious libraries looking for answers where we can't find any. And so I know we've just read a passage that many are familiar with, but, but I want to think differently with you this morning about the cross. I want to think differently with you this morning about this idea of embracing the absurd. And here's why. I usually don't have points, but if you're taking notes and you want points, here's point number one. God is the absurd. God as the absurd. You see, it's ridiculous to believe in something that's absurd. It's one thing to believe something's absurd. It's another to believe in something simply because it's absurd. I want you to take a step outside of your faith for just one moment. And think about how ridiculous some of the beliefs we have about Christianity are. Uh, Advent's coming up. I love this one. It's a great example. I'm going to give you two words. And I just want you to think about the irony of this. Virgin birth. See, nobody's laughing because we've said it so many times in the church. It's just become like a, a mind-numbing thing. Think about this. Virgin birth. I would always tell my students when I would, was teaching them, I said, think about this. I want you to just do a test. I want you to go home tonight, and I want you to tell your mom and your dad that you're pregnant. Just tell them you're pregnant. And then when they're ready to kick you out and they start packing your bags, you say, mom and dad, wait, wait, wait. I can, ex- I can explain this. Here, let me, let me explain for just one minute. My boyfriend had nothing to do with it. Nothing at all. And your parents are beginning to look at you like you're insane. 
And as they continue to grab the badge, you say, well, 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 well let me just wait. I know it's hard to believe, but, but God, put him, God put him there. Now, here's what's going to happen. Your parents are going to check you into the psychiatric ward, and then they're going to schedule a paternity test because they know that God is not the father. Some of you got that joke. <laughs> but virgin birth, it is absolutely outrageous and absurd to think that a teenager who got pregnant while maintaining her purity and her virginity, I mean, that is outlandish. If that's not enough for you, I love words like resurrection. Have you ever noticed that, that we use that word a lot in the church, but it is so goofy? I mean, where do we get that word? Resurrection. It's just so funny. But what's funny is we believe that somebody died for three days. That's why we use the number three, because they believe that people were dead after three days. And that after three days, they would never come back to life. And we believe that some guy died for three days, and then he came back to life. We believe in this thing called the Trinity. And this is really confusing. Don't try to tell me that you can use a hard-boiled egg to explain it. I'm sorry, you can't. But we believe in this thing where there's this one God who's just three separate entities, but they can't be separate because if they are, then we're polytheists. So we actually just say that they're one. Doesn't make sense to me. Here's what's really outrageous and crazy is that, that we believe in a God who cares about people. Did you know that most of the gods actually didn't care about people? It was just people that cared about God. But we believe that we believe in a God that cares so much about people that he sends this guy named Jesus, by the way, who is God. To come to us and tell us all about who God is. And he comes to us and he shows up and he says one of the most outrageous things. The kingdom of God is here. Do you get this statement? That in the face of Rome that you are announcing you are God. When Caesar himself believed that he was God. Do you know what you're doing? The kingdom of God is here. And he would say, Jesus would say crazy things and outlandish things to us like, your eternal life doesn't begin when you die, but it begins when you die to yourself. That we should love those who hate us. That if you want to be first, you should be last. And if that isn't crazy enough... Everybody's expecting the Savior to ride in on this white stallion with this amazing sword where we cut off the head of Caesar. And then we get this goofy scene, this outrageous scene where this man rides in on a peace donkey empty-handed. We read these stories and we think they're normal, but they're absolutely crazy. And if that's not enough to you for you today, we witness a God... Who is hanged on a cross. We witness a God who is hanged on a cross. God is absurd. And I think that the absurdity of God redefines our understanding of good. That because God is absurd, he helps us understand what good looks like. But it doesn't fit in a box. It doesn't make sense, which leads me like my, to my next point, that if God is the absurd, then the cross is the confrontation to the absurd. You see, we think the cross somehow gives us answers, that it will somehow take away our doubt and our unknowing about life. 
they don't somehow take away our frustrations with life. But can I say this morning that the cross and Christianity confronts us with unknowing, it confronts us with doubt, and it breaks down all meaning? The cross is a confrontation to the absurd. It, it's like surreal art. I think we have a picture this morning. The cross is like surreal art. If you've never experienced surreal art, I know most of you have. You begin to look at this picture. And we do it within the light of the cross, but you begin to think, what was the artist thinking? What does this picture mean? This, this really doesn't make sense. And if we're honest, something like this doesn't fit into our world of understanding. Am I, am I right? This doesn't make sense to us. It doesn't fit in our world of understanding. And so we t- try to take the crucifixion. We try to give the crucifixion meaning when the crucifixion all along defies all meaning. Here's what I mean. The cross breaks into our world and begins to tell us, I know you've understood the world this way, but I want you to forget everything you've ever learned because this is what meaning is about. You see, we try to take things like the atonement theory as an equation to our salvation. And we rarely see the cross as a reordering of God's creation. You see, when Jesus dies on the cross, there is a reordering of the world. No longer is the world driven by power and violence. But we have a a guy who is crucified by peace and love and forgiveness. So if you want to point from this idea that the cross is a confrontation to the absurd, think about this. The cross is not how we understand life. The cross is not how we understand life, but it's the way in which we live life. There's a huge difference. The cross is not the way in which we understand life, it's the way in which we live life. The cross is a confrontation to those, to the absurd. Point three, as much as I hate three-point sermons, if God is absurd... If the cross confronts the absurd, then God is in the midst. God is in the midst of suffering and pain. That's the third point. God is in the midst of suffering and pain. I love that our Lord dies next to two thieves. Because what the world wants to say about our God is he is a loser just like these guys. You see, I I think somehow we think the cross takes away all of our suffering in life. That when we experience death, when we experience a spouse walking out, when we experience our kid being diagnosed with cancer, when we have these moments in life, we just expect that God will take those away from us. That is what we think the cross does for us. But the cross is not something that fixes it for you. It's something that helps you bear it. I love, there's this gentleman named Ellie Wiesel. In America, we would say Ellie Weasel. But Ellie Wiesel, who, who was in a concentration camp. Some of you have heard this story. And they would, they would hang these, these prisoners up on gallows. And he talks about how one day there were three men and a little boy who were hung on the gallows. 
And they all had to stand out and watch. And as the gallows fell, these three men died within a matter of seconds. But the boy, because he was so light, took 20 to 30 to 40 minutes. And they made these people stand and watch this young boy suffer on the gallows. And somebody in the crowd said, Where is God? And Ellie describes that in that moment, there was a voice inside of him that said, He is hanging on the gallows with that child. He is hanging on the gallows with that child. You see, we believe in a God who who doesn't come to make everything perfect for us, but rather He is present with us in the midst of the dirt and the gritty and the grime. That He is present with you when you are, are pouring your heart out to the world around you and nobody understands because they're not there. They don't get it. You see, God isn't going to fix it. I'm sorry if you came today thinking that God was going to fix all of your problems. But what excites me more is that we believe in a God that is present with us in those moments. So we believe in a God who is in the midst of our suffering and our pain. This is the absurdity of God. A God who doesn't fix, but a God who loves you by being present with you. And it's okay with you saying, where are you? And at some point, my prayer is that you'll hear him say, I'm right here. So, you know what I'm thankful for today? I'm thankful for a God that's absurd. I'm thankful for a God who comes and dies on the cross, who does crazy and outlandish things. They really don't make sense to anybody. But what I also love about our God is that God the absurd causes people to absurdity. (laughs) You see, God does not send his son Jesus for us to make sense of life, but to live a life that doesn't make sense. Amen. Yeah, I'm awake. God does not send His Son Jesus for us to make sense of life, but for us to live a life that doesn't make sense. I wish you could have been in my house last night. My son pulls out this ugly yellow felt about the color of these pews, and he pulls it out, and he begins to cut holes in it. And he begins to snip away, and there's felt all over my floor, and we just swapped, and it was really frustrating. He's a creative little booger. And he starts tying this black pieces of felt all over And then he he takes it and he puts his arms through the holes and wraps it around and he has a vest that he made for the last two hours. (laughs) The best way I could describe it is he looked like a Disney character from the Middle East who was a poor beggar named Aladdin. It was ugly. And we're trying not to laugh. We're trying not to smirk. We're trying not to make fun of it. In fact, he was so proud of it, he went to bed in it. Oh my goodness. It is hideous. And our families look at him, looking at him, and we're saying this, this is absurd. This doesn't make sense. This is, this is weird, Carter. 
But I think he gets it. I think he gets it. He, he really is the picture of what we are to be to our community. He, you see, I think Christianity has, has become a Sunday where we get these, these success in life sermons where it teaches how to win and be triumph in everything that we do. But the, but the absurdity of God calls us to yearn and to desire for love in such a way that it redefines everything that we do. You see, the beauty of what we just read this morning, the beauty of the cross is that it changes lives. The beauty of the cross is that it has changed my life. But even more beautiful is the fact that I can't explain to you how that happens. You see, it is in the mystery. It is in the mystery of the cross that we see its beauty. And that is the beauty of the God that we serve. This morning, I, I would like to invite you to another absurd moment in our sanctuary where we invite people from every walk of life, from every situation in life. I don't care what you're going through. We don't believe you have to be a member here. We don't even necessarily believe that you have to be a Christian, just that you are trying to understand who God is in your life. But we believe that, that in this moment, we come to the table, the God, the absurd God who has died on the cross and redefined life for us. And it says, eat from this table. Because as we say every week, you are what you eat. And don't you want to live a crazy life? Not an existence that bores the world around you, but that changes the world around you. Is that not what you want this morning? If that's what you want, if you feel like God is calling you to do something revolutionary, then come this morning and receive from a table that is one of the most subversive revolutions we've ever seen in this history of this world. This is the God that has died for your sins. This is the God that loves you. And this is the God who not only died in suffering, but stands in your suffering with you this morning. If our ushers or if those serving communion would come forward this morning, I'll, I'll pray for us. We'd ask that you come as you feel ready, that you come when it's your time and and then we'll close. Let me pray. Lord, we give thanks. We give thanks that we don't believe in a God that's somewhere out in the distance who really doesn't care about us, who only cares about himself or herself. But rather we serve a God who cares so much about people that he would He would send this, this person called his son to the world to give us new examples of what the world should look like that rather than hatred and violence and vengeance, this becomes a world of peace and love and forgiveness. So Lord, help us understand as we eat this morning that as we partake, this isn't a way to help us understand life, but it becomes the way in which we live. We're reminded today that your followers were not called Christians, but they were called followers of the way. And the only way that something can be the way is the way in which it's lived. 
Lord, teach us this morning as we eat and receive your grace and your love to be followers of the way. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.